Uh, we are starting a culture to this last week. We started it, and um, we're asking everyone to bring a pillow to church that you use. Uh, I feel like the Lord, um, I don't ever know if like, sometimes you, like you hear the word of the Lord or if like you hear yourself, but I know that this is good and it's good for our church as I'm praying for our country right now, I feel like is in a massive disarray. Uh, even the church right now, for the most part, can't agree on a lot of things. Uh, what the answer is, what the answer is not, what's going to save people, what's not going to save people, what's going to fix the border and taxes and government and presidential nonsensical activity. Um, what I do know is that we have to, agree, we have to, God doesn't move in discord, he moves in unity. And so if we can't figure out what we agree on, the church will never grow. And Jesus said that he wanted to build his church so that the gates of hell didn't prevail against it. And so we have to recognize that by us coming together in unity is what actually impacts darkness. And so what I realize, what we do agree on is that we all need Jesus. And uh, I think our country is in trouble right now, a lot of trouble. There's a cancer that's formed, and it's like we're attacking ourselves all the time. That's what cancer does. It attacks the rest of the cells in the body. And that's what's happening. And what I, what the solution that God is giving me is that we build an altar in our church. And what that looks like is that we, as the people of God, figure out how to repent for our country, for our church, and for our family. I don't know about you, but I met God in an altar. It's where I experienced God. Some of you, maybe it was in a youth camp or in a kid's church. Some of you, it may have been right here on a Sunday morning. But I think that we have to get back to the altar where we put our life on the altar. And so for the next forever, just want you to know at the church, here's a big announcement. The altars are open. So I'm going to ask you to bring a pillow over the next couple weeks that you don't just donate to the church, but you use it also. Amen? Can I get an amen? Amen. Uh, but what I'd love to see is people that are more hungry for God than they are church. Yeah. Yeah. Love church. Church is my favorite time of the week. I love being together with God's saints. I love being in God's presence with his people. But what I really love is the moment like in the temple when we get past the outer courts and we enter into the inner courts and we get into the presence of God. And so it's cool where we're out there. You know, our little lobby is ginormous, right? But then we start moving in closer to the ark uh, and the holy of holies, and we start moving closer to Jesus and the presence of God. And what I believe is that repentance moves the heart of God. Amen? So I double dog dare you to bring a pillow and join me in the altar. They're open over the next couple weeks. Is that a cool announcement? Great. So we're doing this series that we're starting today called More Than Minor. And uh, this is uh, really uh, difficult. Man, I, I have I have cried more this week than I have in a long time. Uh, I have very much underprepared for this series. I'd like to know what I'm about to say, and for the most part, I don't. Spin about, man, I have canceled more meetings with people this week and stuff that I had to do just so I can read. And what I've done is um, I really felt like the Lord wanted to take me to the minor prophets. So we're going to do a series on the minor prophets. And I'm going to kind of give you an overview today of what that's all about, and we'll dive into one of them. As we talk about this, the minor prophets, what I've learned is I've read all of them again and again and again this week. And I landed on one on Friday that we're going to go over today. The minor prophets are not 
less than the major prophets. They're just shorter books. So these guys figured out how to take the word of the Lord and say it in less words than a, than a pastor would. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, than your pastor would. And so I'm guilty. Um, the minor prophets are no less important than everyone else. Ezekiel, Elijah, or, or, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, uh, they, they were crucial to the body of Christ. And if you would, the theme for all of the minor prophets is turn. If we can write over every uh, one of the 12 minor prophets, turn, we would, you would really get the theme of each chapter, of each book. But for most of them, they were speaking to Israel, not wicked kings. And so to Israel, they would say, return. We want you to return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. It wasn't in, like, like, so not all of these are evangelical books. They're mostly talking to the house of God. And as I look at our nation right now, I do believe that we are designed to be salt of the earth, that we are designed to be the light of the world. And so I'm putting upon myself the responsibility of parts of the gospel that I believe we've missed over the last decade or five that I know that our forefathers mastered. And they learned how to take responsibility of the sins of their generation on their shoulders and ask God to forgive them. Whether we realize it or not, there are sins of our generation that we're responsible for as gatekeepers and these types of things, and the blood of the innocents, and there's many things that we are actually partaking in without recognizing it. Uh, and if you would, these prophets really helped the Israel get back to what the heart of God was. Does that make sense? So actually, as I wanted to start off, I was thinking about doing all 12 of the minor prophets. And when I was like, you know what, this is a daunting task. There's no, uh, we'll, we'll have to, okay. So, but we do want to start off with the first one. And while I have talked about this, this book before, I've never talked about it in detail. So we're going to start off with the book of Hosea. Now, uh, I have talked about Hosea, but I didn't, I've never done a study on Hosea. And after reading it, like four times um, on Friday and several times on Saturday, what I realized is that I actually um, didn't understand a lot of it. So we're going to dive into the heart of Hosea. And what I had to do is to go out of my way to not give you an outline because this book is messy. It comes from a messy person who is kind of emotional and all over the place, representing a God who in this moment is emotional. And you'll see it's, I almost feel terrible saying this, but it's emotional, and, and it seems like the Lord is kind of all over the place. He's not. His throne never moves. He is, I, I recognize, like, uh, but you're going to see the heart that Hosea had the, the responsibility to represent that is emotional and is hurt and is wounded and wants to change his mind. Um, and so I want to dive into some of those things together with you. Is that cool? Yeah. Uh, also important, uh, just one fact for you to know, this book, all of the minor prophets were written during the time of someone else's books being written. And so this was written uh, very much during the time of Isaiah and some of the other major prophets. So uh, this is a 25-year span that these 12 chapters were written in. Cool? More than minor. 
I really like that. Deb came up with the title. Deb was really catchy. I really like it. I was like, man, we're going to go with that. More than minor because uh, I, I think if, has anyone else ever in deciding what they're going to read, just go, uh, we'll just go to Jesus, right? We'll just go to the New Testament. Far easier. The, my, the heart of the Old Testament sets a tone of who God is. He has not changed. Same God. Yesterday, today, and forever. So we need to understand what he's seeing as he's looking down from heaven on a country currently jacked up. Can I get an amen? amen. Maybe you haven't been on social media recently. Good for you. Great. Return to me would be the theme of Hosea. And, uh, and I believe there are four things that Tim Broughton believes is going to be um, seen throughout this book that he's going to reveal. He's going to reveal God's desire for his people. Uh, he's going to reveal the consequences of sin. He's going to reveal this great conflict in God's heart. And he's going to reveal God's covenant and blessing with his people. So as we go through this, this is not going to have an outline. So this is going to seem, wait, I don't, I'm not having a hard time following you today. Me too, as I read this, and uh, I'm just going to read a lot of 12 different chapters. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, help. Amen. Hey, Brian, would you, would you give me a glass of, uh, of agua there? That'd be awesome, man. A good glass of H2O. We're going to start off right in the, book, in the, in the very first chapter, uh, verse 2, and uh, this is what it's going to open up as. It says, when the, Lord of the, when the word of the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, I want you to go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. What? Uh, okay, so we're going to read about a lot of different prophets here, and uh, Hosea definitely got the worst job that the Lord assigned and handed out to all of them. Uh, he did not get Isaiah's job, which got to see the, 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 the throne of the Lord and the train of his robe filling the temple and the, the Lord exalted and the cherubims. He, he didn't get to see what Jonah got to see when thousands of people got, uh, returned to the Lord and, and, and rid their hearts and, and all worshiped the Lord. Hosea got a bad end of the stick. He got what is crucial for us to get, and that is a great download of God's heart. Because if you don't actually get God's heart, what you get is religion, and you, you can become calloused and angry, which is what I see is happening right now. A lot of people are angry, and I want to be broken. I want to be moved by God. Cool. Here we go. Uh, so uh, this will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. Whew. We are not Israel. It's important for you to know that. Israel is God's, God's peeps. Uh, they are his favorite. He loves them far more than he loves America important for you to know that. Uh, but America was founded on the gospel, right? Yeah. And so while many of us came to the Lord seeking to worship the Lord, 
uh, our country, we have moved off of that. We have taken God out of schools. We are trying to take God out of everything that we possibly can in our country. And we as the people have to figure out first how to, how to return to the Lord um, and then how to inject him in, into society. And so um, Hosea had three kids. The second one uh, was a daughter, and they named um, the first one was a little boy that they named Jezreel. The second one was a daughter, and they named her Lo-Rahama, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them. What? I don't, I don't know of that version of God. Why don't we ever talk? Like that's, It's still God, same God that died on the cross. The Lord is upset and he is grieved with his wife. Gomer is grieved with his wife and so he named his daughter not loved because I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them. The next one, uh, they, they, after, after the baby grew up older, the Lord said that they had a third baby, another son, and they named him Lo-Amana, which means not my people, for Israel is not my people and I am not their God. And I don't know what's happening in our country, but I get a sense that we are telling God as a country that he's not ours, almost like there's this divorce happening. And I know that when God looks down on sin in a country or sin in a situation, he doesn't, he doesn't move in sin. But for whatever reason, we have um, gotten comfortable with the idea of sin and the idea that God loves us. But I want you to know that this man, Hosea, who married this woman, had these children. And I don't even know if these children were actually his, but they were given to him after she had the baby, almost as if it became his responsibility as she would go off and be with other people constantly. He is now bringing up these children. And what is important for us to catch, if we don't catch anything, is that the purpose of Hosea marrying Gomer was so that he would not yell at Israel for what they're doing wrong, but his heart would reveal the brokenness of what it's like to love someone that doesn't love you back. And I I think that that's crucial because before we can talk about anyone out there, you have to first look at you. And the areas in our life that we've allowed to not love God, when we've loved things that the Lord does not love, how, how does he respond to that? Today, I think it's crucial that we talk about things that is critical to seeing the Holy Spirit welcome in our midst. Can I get an amen? amen. His name is holy. Holy does mean set apart. He is a set-apart kind of spirit, reserved for a set-apart kind of people. And we've just integrated him into our lives as he's a, a tag-along type of God. As we would go down here, the list, in, in, uh, so they're setting the tone for, Gomer, or for Hosea and his heart being broken. We go into chapter 3, verse 1, and it says, The Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again. Even though she commits adultery with another lover, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, still loves America, 
still loves the Miller family, still loves the Thomas family, still loves this you. And it's super crucial because what, what could be mistaken here is if we're not careful, we can get prideful, angry at America, but the responsibility was for Hosea to recognize the feelings and the emotions. And he's asking Hosea to act, not with emotion, but like physically go back and love her. Physically go back and get her. And this will illustrate how the Lord loves Israel. This will illustrate how Jesus loved us. For husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for them. There are so many people in our culture and in our society that we love only when we are loved. But the Lord, we see here the Lord loving even when we have not loved him. Do you get this? And so there's going to be a back and forth because if you've ever been in a relationship where things are rocky, you too can be quite emotional. You can be high and low and still be committed. There's going to be times in life when you are disciplined and you don't deviate from what you know you're supposed to do, but your emotions can be high and your emotions can be low. And we see this even in the Lord where he is super frustrated. Like, man, those people are not mine. And then, no, those people are mine. And so I want you to go back and marry them in, verse th- in ver- chapter 3, verse 1. And even though they have turned to other gods and love to worship them. Let me just stop there for one second. In, our, in their time, in, in Israel's time, they were worshiping a god called Baal. We don't worship Baal. But as Americans, we do worship, don't we? And I think that it's crucial for us maybe to just gauge. Like, I don't even want to put out there what I think we worship yet. We'll talk about that in other weeks. But like, just for you, just to sow a seed, you know how fervently or how passionately you worship the Lord. What else do you attribute this kind of worship to in your life? What do you worship more than the Lord. You may not lift your hands and you may not sing, but some of us don't lift our hands in the house of God or lift our voices and sing. We do it with our hands in our pockets silently, but we do get vocal about things in our life that we celebrate and praise, don't we? It is worship, whether we recognize it or not. And we're going to see here in scripture how the people of Israel took their eyes off of the Lord and did worship other things. So um, in verse 5, of chapter two, of, I'm sorry, chapter three. But afterward, the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendant, the king. In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and all of his goodness. And that's where I think we are right now. It says, in the last days, they will tremble in awe. I am praying for that in our church, that the Lord would give us a glimpse of his throne like he did Isaiah that the Lord would give us a glimpse of his affection for us. And I, I can't think of anything that should be more awesome on this earth. No sunset, no waterfall, no, no flower blooming, no cool like garden, nothing awesome on television, no fascinating movie. Nothing should be more awesome than recognizing the God of the universe likes you. 
And if we can't put those things together, we're missing everything here. And so the people have turned with their affection and their praise and their celebration to other things other than the Lord. Are we still together? This book is all over the place, and I can sense that this is heavy for you. It's been heavy for me, and so I can see people already daydreaming. Uh, we're, it's, you're, you're allowed, I guess. You're going to daydream about things that God's putting on your heart, so have fun with it. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 16, 19 through 20, the Lord said, I will be faithful to you and make you mine, and you will finally know me as the Lord. I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice and unfailing love and compassion. And when that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me husband instead of my master. And I love that. Because the Lord is not commanding anything, anything over, of, over you. He's offering you love. And in exchange, you'll recognize what's good for you and love him back. In chapter 4, something impressive happens that kind of sets the tone for a big part of Hosea. They use a key word um, that I, I was accidentally um, calling Yoda when I, uh, when I was practicing this week. And uh, it was uh, not, not the word Yoda. The word was Yado. Y- Yado. Yado. And that's the Hebrew word for what's used. And the Hebrew word means no. Listen to verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel. The Lord has brought these charges against you, saying, There is no faithfulness and no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. That word yado in Hebrew means no. Not no. There's no knowledge of God in the land. There's no knowledge of God in the land. And there is a massive difference than when you know about somebody than when you know them. You can know about George Washington, but none of you know George Washington. You know what I'm talking about? We just know information about them. But what is important about knowing people is we get to understand how they react and why they react, what they love and why they love them. And it's crucial for you to understand that the people were rebelling against the Lord. There were no faithfulness, no kindness, and no one in the land knew the Lord. And this theme would repeat itself again and again with so many scriptures that it it got me dizzy. I saw it again in verse 6. My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. Since the priests refuse to know me. And I, I think of that New Testament thing that would translate for us. We are priests and kings. Not Even though you're not a pastor, you still are a priest. Paul said that he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That's what a priest did, was they took people that were not close to God and brought them back to God and resolved their sin. Like, we are helping people get to God. And he's saying that these people who have this ministry of making sure we help people connect to the Lord aren't connecting with the Lord. And they turn the altars of God into pagan places of of awful kinds of activity happening here in this book. And our hope is to turn this into an altar where we, the people, respond to God and ask God to forgive us on behalf of our nation. I've got a lot more to unpack in a short amount of time. Here we go. So, one of the things that happens is, uh, let me just read 
this. Uh, it's a cool verse, and I, I highlighted it, and so I think that I'm supposed to read it to you. Come, let us return to the Lord. This would be a key verse. Return to the Lord. Remember, this is over 25 years. So it sounds like he's just saying it again, but he's not. He's saying it. He's reinserting it again into this time. We have to return to the Lord. We have to return to the Lord. And I don't know what it looks like for us to return to the Lord. Does, do you, does the Lord have your attention? Does the Lord have your focus? I don't think that religion is going to help anyone in our, in our society. But having relationship with God, having his heart, having his burden, having his power in your life can change people. But that's not coming through knowledge. That's coming through knowledge. Verse, chapter 6, verse 3. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. And he will respond to us as surely as the arrival of the dawn or the coming rains in the early spring. And what I love about this, this passage is uh, we were out doing outreach the other day with, some of, with, with the kids this week on Saturday. And we're teaching some of the kids things that are important for them to know about how to get God to move in your life. I don't know, but I know that there are times or seasons where the Lord is distant from us. And there are just principles that God responds to quickly in our lives. So some of you right now, you've been distant from God for some time. Maybe you're a fervent believer, and you don't identify any sin in your life. It's, it's just a difficult season. One of the things that I've learned is even in this passage right here, the Lord responds to repentance. And so even if it's not your sin, we start asking God to forgive us for the sins that's happening around us. And it starts breaking our heart, and he starts... He's, it's like we become an offering on the altar of God. And it's like Lacey said this morning, we, the Holy Spirit represents fire. And in the Old Testament, those, those sacrifices, they'd be burned. And we begin burning, and the Lord burns away things in our heart, and it, the Holy Spirit comes fresh to us. And so here in this passage, they're saying, come, let us return to the Lord. And now he's, he's talking about we have to press on, and if we press through returning to the Lord, then he'll respond and come to us. O Israel, O Judah, what should I do with you, asked the Lord, for your love it vanishes like the morning mists and disappears like the dew in the sunset. I, I'm not trying to be heavy. I actually, I like to be light. But what I recognize is that Israel had the same problem that we're having right now. There are people that love God and are, haven't been fervent in months or years and that's, that's a tragic problem. When we actually believe that Jesus is the answer for the nations, we've got to get him to move in me first. This is revival. God, I am dead inside. I've not met with you, encountered you. You've not shared your heart with me. I am becoming more and more like everyone else and less and less like you. And so in verse 6, oh, it's so wonderful. He says, I, wanna, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want, to, I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. Like Adam, you broke my covenant and, covenant and betrayed my trust. And so there is a pressing through. Church, if you're in a dry season, here's what we believe. Jesus is alive. Amen. He is not dead. He is not distant from us. He sent his Holy Spirit to us. Oftentimes, we become distant from God. 
It's not God that has moved. It's often us. We need to move back towards God. Paul said, draw near to me and I will what? Draw near to you. It was James. I'm sorry that said that. James 4, 6. And so it's a simple principle that we must move towards the Lord. Many of us are just bored spiritually. We want to see God move. We are not willing to do any of the work. This sounds like the heart of America right now, right? We want money. We don't want to just waiting for another stimulus check. No, I'm sorry. That was, I got to stay here. Don't get political. But Israel gets political right here in chapter 7, and there's a massive problem that's happening in their nation. They realize that they can be overtaken by the nations around them. And rather than, than trusting in the Lord, they begin to put their trust in their allies that are godless. So they rely on other people to protect them that don't have the interest of the Lord in their life. This is a problem. When we look to the Lord, when we look to anyone but the Lord to be our covering, it's dangerous, y'all. And so in chapter 7, verse 11, the people of Israel have become like silly, witless doves, first calling Egypt and then flying to Assyria for help. And they made a pact with these two nations, Assyria and Egypt, to protect them from the other nations. And this worked out for several years. They, there was peace. They liked them. And one day, Assyria woke up and said, wait a second, we're greater than you. We're stronger than you. Why, are we protect, why don't we just come and take the things that are yours and make them mine? And that's exactly what happened. They got taken advantage of, of by the very covering that they asked for. And what happens is the Lord gets frustrated with them in chapter 8. He says, sound the alarm. The enemy descends like an eagle on the people of the Lord, for they have broken my covenant and revolted against my law. Now Israel pleads with me. Help us, for you are our God, but it's too late now. And this doesn't sound like things that we talk about, but I'm telling you, this is the parable of the ten virgins. This is everything in Scripture. This, this is what's happening. I think about the Katrina years ago when you guys have heard me tell this story. When, when the, the Coast Guard had come to rescue people that were sitting on their housetops during Hurricane Katrina, and the people said, no, it's okay, we're going to be fine. And they're like, look, there's no one else coming for you. Get in the boat, we're leaving. And they didn't. And those people weren't accounted for again. Like, there are, this is a real scenario where the Lord is saying, America is not going to, they, are, are, they are not praying before they make these rules. We are not seeking the Lord. We're not asking for forgiveness in our nation. We're not seeking Jesus. And yet we're looking to America to be a covering for us. And he's saying, like, you can do this yourself. You can let them do this. Or you can seek me. And I think that this is crucial, that we, the people of God, get back to God. And I have more verses here about this. And so, uh, and so the people appointed kings without my consent and princes without my knowledge, making idols for themselves uh, from their silver and gold. And they, brought, they have brought destruction. They have brought about their own destruction, the Lord would say. In chapter 8, verse 9, like a wild donkey looking for a mate, they have gone up to Assyria 
the people of, of Israel have sold themselves. They sold themselves for, to many lovers. They, um, this is all just an illustration of the Lord using Hosea with Gomer to illustrate how we are looking for anyone else for a quick fix. We need somebody really quick to tell me, I got you. We want security, but we're looking for security in the wrong places. And this is just dangerous. Why are we talking about this, Pastor Tim? Because I think we're getting away from principles, ignoring entire things that happened over centuries. Like this was two and a half decades of God moving on his people. They forsook him and they, there was a massive consequence you want to turn to others for security, okay, then there you go. And then he takes his hand off of them, and they're left with the consequences. And the consequences was people were killed, there was death, they had things stolen from them. And like in our country right now, the Lord, we have covenant with him. And I take that covenant seriously, and what I know about Jesus is he took that covenant seriously. Uh, if you're new, we're not always this heavy, like, right? But like, I, I am caught up in heavy conversations every time I turn around, and I'm seeing the church engaged in arguments with people, and we're trying to tell each other that like, this medicine is going to fix this problem, or these, you're not, but you're not a doctor, and these, these things are going to fix this problem. And this is, and what's happening is the enemy has us all spinning in circles, pointing at all of these things that we think are solutions. And it's just dizziness. The only solution that I am aware of is Christ Jesus. And that's what we have to actually figure out how to return to with all of our heart. If someone gets sick, we have to return to believing that we can pray over them and the, and the elders of the church will pray the prayer of faith and the sick will be made well, says the Holy Scripture. And that we just believe in those things. We can't get dizzy, caught up in conversations that are leading to things that, that are just godless arguments leading to nothingness. There's no victory. I have not met one person that I've talked with that said that they had an opinion about what was happening at the border. And then the person was like, oh my gosh. You're so right. I'm, I'm going to change my, all my thoughts and realign with you. It doesn't work like that. We introduce them to Jesus. Jesus changes their heart on whatever he's trying to do in our nation. We have to return to the Lord. Because if we don't, our country has no hope. And maybe even far more important, your family has no hope. I'm praying for everyone that's at home right now watching I am begging you to build an altar in your home where there's prayer, where there's crying out for God, where there's I'm sorry and forgiveness. Okay, I have to go. I'm, I set myself a time limit and I'm over that. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> Verse 11, uh, chapter 11 is, is, is so beautiful. So I'm going to go to 11 and then I'm going to go to 14 and we're going to close. But I, I was trying to figure out what the best part was to read in 11, and I couldn't figure it out because it's all just awesome. So if you, if you daydream for most of this, just listen to this because this is, this is really good. <laughs> when Israel was a child, I loved him, 
said the Lord, and I called my son out of Egypt. But the more that I called him, the further he moved from me, offering sacrifices to the images of Baal and burning incense to idols. I don't know what those incense are that we have in our life or what those idols are that we worship, but they're there. And I taught myself, I, I, I myself taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by the hand. And he, but he doesn't know or even care that it was I who took care of him. I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love. I lifted the yoke from his neck and I brought my stoop down to feed him. God's doing so many things while we're still just ignorant. I'm breathing right now, not because my body knows how to breathe, but because a lot the Lord gives me grace to breathe. But since my people refuse to return to me, then they'll return to Egypt. And I want you to know this book is about consequences. And when we don't return back to Christ, he will allow us to suffer the consequences of our decisions. And this is fundamental to Christianity, and yet somehow we've gotten away from teaching. Sin, while there will always be forgiveness from Jesus, if you ask for it, there will also be consequences for the sins that we choose. It's crucial. Verse 8, but how can I give up on you, Israel, and how can I let you go? And this is why it goes back to Hosea and Gomer. It's this beautiful heartache that God has. He's torn. He's conflicted between himself because he realizes we won't respond to him. And he loves us so much, but he's remembering the covenant that he made with Abraham, and he's remembering his love for you. You have to hear me say this. We have to take our eyes now off the nation and back just to ourselves. I want you to know that in your life, all of us have areas of unfaithfulness to Christ. But what the most profound thing is that I have found in Christ is his consistency to love me. And I hope today that that is not knowledge that falls in your brain, but an experience that falls on your heart. He loves you. And as Hosea, as the Lord sent Hosea to go buy Gomer back, so the, Lord's, so the Father sent Jesus to go buy us back. My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. No, I will not unleash my fierce anger and I will not completely destroy Israel. For someday they, the people will follow me and I will bring them home again and they will return to me. I'm gonna turn really quickly to, verse, to chapter 14. Rachel, would you come? Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. For your sins have brought you down. Bring your confession and return to the Lord. And I think that this is important because it may, he makes it personal. It's got to be yours. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Bring your confession and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all of our sins and graciously re receive us so we may not offer, so that we may offer to you our praises. Assyria cannot save us, 
nor can our war horses. In verse 4, he says, The Lord says, Then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds. I love that. My love will know no bounds. Can we close your eyes real quick and um, bow your heads for just a moment of reverence? We're building an altar at my church. I pray to God that your life is on it. I don't know when the last time was that you gave your life to Jesus. But I've learned that I have to do this daily because my heart is prone to wander. Do you love the Lord with all of your heart? Holy Spirit might just be convicting you about things that need to change. I believe all of us can look into America right now and see things that need to change. Heathen can do that. But what I believe the Lord wants, what the book of Hosea is about, it's not about anything other than you returning to Him to know him, to experience him and have a relationship with him. He wants intimacy with you. He wants your attention. He wants your focus. He wants your emotion. He wants your praise.